Welcome to this week's edition of Dugout Dish Podcast. I'm Andy Kirikides, joined by my co-host, Keith Glasser. Keith, how we doing? Great, how are you? I'm good. We got a, a special guest tonight, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it over to you to give the intro here, and we'll get rolling. Yeah. Um, we have a, a phenomenal human being and a, an even better baseball coach. Um, somebody who I've actually known for um, a very long time. Um, he actually recruited me a little bit when he was at Siena. And then I couldn't I get it done. Up. I couldn't get it done back then. <laughs> and, then and then I ended up, ended up going to Marist. Um, and then um, I ended up in his position as, a, as an assistant coach of probably six or seven years after that. But um, tonight we're joined by uh, Billy Saleno from Wake Forest. Billy, thanks for joining us tonight. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. We got, we got some Mac guys on here, so we gotta <laughs> we got to tune it up here. Matching. Oh, the, the double-A matching. Um, but before we, before we start firing questions at you, if you just give the listeners a quick rundown of, of how you've gotten to wake. Yeah, for sure. So I took kind of a, a you know, a, a non-conventional path that in, in today's world today, people, you know, jump right into the higher ends of, of, of college baseball. You know, I had an opportunity to play at Siena. I played for a guy in Tony Rossi that was there for 50, I don't know, too, way too many years. He was Longtime head coach and, and and someone that's been a mentor to me all along. And I got to my junior year and and thought I had some draft aspirations and and, and wasn't a draft. Um, so kind of made the decision my senior year that I wanted to coach. Um, you know, kind of have a family history of coaching. My my grandfather coached professionally for a while with the with what's now the Nationals, but back then was the Expos. And 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 my dad was a high school coach and athletic director for a long long time. Um, so I knew pretty early on when I was dragged to gyms and ball fields and football fields that it was something I wanted to do. Um, and I think, uh, I think the reality that I wasn't good enough, you know, drew me to it. So my, my senior year, I, I kind of sat down with coach Rossi and I said, this is what I want to do. And, uh, you know, he was like, Hey man, I, I think you'd be great at it. And so I got done playing and I actually was, was, was entertaining the idea of going to play over in Italy. Um, and uh, and took a job in accounting in the meantime in the D.C. area. Spent about two months there. Um, loved the first and the fifteenth payday. You know it was it was good, um, but but knew it wasn't for me pretty quick. It just wasn't something I'm built to do. Uh, the same thing applies to me now. Like I, you know, my wife, you know, makes us go on vacation, tries to drag us out to vacations, and she always jokes after about two or three days. She says, "You're not very good at vacation, huh?" I'm not, just not <laughs> being idle is not something I'm very good at. Um, so, um, you know, from there, you know, coach Rossi had called me about a month into it and said, Hey, you want to come back and coach here? Why not? Um, so I decided to do it. Um, he offered me a big check. I think it was like 1750 bucks, maybe something like that. Um, with nothing else to it and said, Hey, you know, you can come up and was fortunate to do it. Um, took the job at Siena and, and didn't really have an idea of what I was doing. Um, you know, but but he he gave me a list. As, as Keith knows, you get a, a word document that was that was pecked on a keyboard that that had every day of the summer and where you were going to be. Yep. Um, and you weren't staying in a hotel. You were going home in between. Right. Four yep. hours there, four hours back, get four hours of sleep, go three hours the other way. That's just yep. how it worked. And that's how he, he worked for his whole his whole life. Um, 
you know, in coaching. So did that, um, you know, our first recruiting class at Siena, I joke all the time. It was, it was like nine guys, John Lannon, who was like a, you know, six or seven year big leaguer, um, was a nationals opening day starter for a couple of years and eight other guys. Um, and I was convinced, I'll never forget how, how convinced I was that those eight other guys were really, really special. And I thought John Lanham couldn't play at Siena. Um, that's how good I was when I first got into it. And, um, and, yeah. and, and coach, uh, coach, let me do my thing. Uh, you know, I actually, you know, coach the, the position players for a stretch, coach the pitchers for a stretch. And, um, and then I left there, I left there in, uh, I don't know, 2004 or five, somewhere in that range. And, and went to the University of New Orleans. I was fortunate. Um, recruited against George Washington, where Coach Walter was at the time, quite a bit. So got to know his assistant, Dennis Healy, who's a who's an upstate New York guy also. And and, and me and Dennis got pretty close. And Dennis and and, and Walt were heading to uh, to New Orleans. They offered me a job. Went down there. Was the volunteer my first year. Um, had to figure out how to make money, how to make ends meet. But that was nothing new to me. Um, you know, and then was fortunate to get the paid job, you know, for, for my second year there. And we're fortunate enough to rebuild that. I mean, we got a chance to to, to rebuild it through Katrina. Um, so I think I got a chance to learn a lot about myself as in who I was as a human being. Um, you see you see things in people in need. And, you know, the city of New Orleans at time, that time was pretty desperate. And, and, uh, and we had a chance to make an impact as a program on that city. Um, with some of the things we did away from the field and um, we're fortunate to put a really good product on the field and got better and better and uh, you know at the time I was uh, I had dated um, who is now my wife Jen for for about 10 years and and uh, off and on and my wife at, at the time said to me hey you know like I, I live anywhere in the world but New Orleans isn't where I want I, I envision raising a family um so we, uh, you know, I decided that that that's the route we would go. And I actually spent three years at Brown um, in the Ivy League and was fortunate when Coach Walter got the job here. Um, he had offered me the the, the hitting job. And, and uh, so came down here and I've been here since I'm starting year 15. Um, myself and Coach Walter have been together 17 years. Um, you know, we've grown this from a from a program that that struggled to really make the ACC tournament. Um, you know, into a in, into a team that that's kind of solidified themselves, um, but but every year's a challenge. So, I was just uh, I was just telling these guys before we got on this thing that uh, you know, forty three players on our roster right now, and and twenty three of them are new guys. So over half of our team is is brand new. So you know, got to kind of go back to square one a little bit and rebuild a rebuild our program. Yeah, it's um. 15 years with coach Walter. That's I forget Seven, that. 17. If you take care of, if you take into account normal. So no, that's yeah. true. 17, but 15 awake. Like I, I forget that you guys have been there for so long. Like I, I like, I distinctly remember. And I, you, people will pick up on this very quickly. Like this is a very, we talk about this, that it's a very interconnected business, but I played for heels yeah. at Marist. And then like, I, so I've known a, a lot of like, I remember him calling me and like, Hey, I'm out at like, I'm leaving. I'm going to wake. Like, I distinctly remember that, like, it was, like, two years ago. So, like, oh, to hear you say, like, oh, it's 15 years. I'm like, wow, it has been 15 years. It's It's been a while. But quick, let me just very quickly to to reiterate the Coach Rossi, like, you have to drive back and forth. I stayed at a Motel 6 in 2009. It was, like, $58. And I came back, and he, he looks at, you know, you have to tape the receipts to the paper. And yep. he looks at it, and he's like, 
58 bucks, huh? And I was like, it's a Motel 6. It's the cheapest thing I could find in Worcester, Massachusetts. He was like, I could have found something cheaper. <laughs> like, no doubt. No doubt. Motel 6, that's deluxe. That's deluxe. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. No so. amenities, no nothing. It was a bed. <laughs> it was yeah, like, I, I, I used to take that gas card and we'd go back and forth every single time because the gas card didn't hit my didn't hit my wallet and, and, and I take it so. It didn't matter how far it was. I sleep slept. I slept in many a rest area. I can put it to you that way. Yep, it's the uh, the, the beauty is, and we had Coach on, and the beauty is, and we've talked about it with the Toma and Jimmy and anyone who Pete Larson was on talking about it. Like it's you learn so much because he gives you so, especially as a young coach, he gives you so much free reign, but coaches you a- along the way. Like you learn so much about yourself as a coach. And I like I, I remember saying to Rob when when because I became a head coach before Rob and so you know there's gonna be times where you're gonna look back and be like there's so many things that coach made us do where I was like why am I doing this and then fast forward to being a head coach you're like ah I get it it, it makes sense like it's yeah, he, he's always, he was an amazing mentor for me too so it's I, I love that guy the thing I always respect about him is is he always had like a like a a way that he lets you know that that you did it wrong without mm-hmm. without kind of making you feel like you failed. So he he had a way about him, um, or has a way about him, and, and still to this day, like I, you know, I, I I probably need to call him more, but I talk to him quite a bit, and uh, and and every single time he he'll let you know. Oh yes, he will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he will. <laughs> he got into me the one day they used our field, and for they were playing Marist. It was snowing, and he shows up. He I was at, I wasn't at the field. I was on campus, like getting things for them. And he calls me. He's like, "What? why are you not here? You're supposed to be the first one here. Didn't I teach you anything? <laughs> it's like, I'm here. There's snow on the field. What are we going to do? I was like, the snow is going to, you have no snow. You'll be fine. Within 30 minutes, he's like, you should have been here first. I shouldn't have beat you here. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Um, anyways, I, we digress for a quick second, but, um, Kick this off. The first question we always ask everyone, um, you know, how do you guys find the players that you are going to recruit at Wake Forest? Yeah, so I think you find them in a, in a large variety of ways. Um, you know, I think now with information and how freely it flows, whether it's, you know, on Twitter or Instagram or, you know, some of the recruiting services out there through Perfect Game or Prep Baseball Report or any of these things that, that are out there, I think information flows way more freely. So I think I, I, you know, across my desk, more and more players come than than have ever come on a day to day basis. And I think especially in in this world where we have this COVID crunch, college rosters are you know p- kids play for six years now, and 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 so kids there, there's less opportunity in some ways for kids. Um, so I think there's they've gotten more creative and more active in putting their names out there. Um, I think there's there's different you know, things that are more valuable than others. I mean, I, I've been fortunate to be in the business as long as I have, you know, I have some pretty close, close relationship with some of the power players that, that are within the, you know, the industry and, you know, tend to trust those people. And, you know, if you find people you trust and, and, and over time it's been successful, you tend to go back to those wells as, as often as you can. So I try and, you know, connect with as many of those people on a day-to-day basis as I can. And, and in turn, a lot of times I get some information on players. So I think you get it in a variety of ways. Um, and then you got to vet it from there. You know, I think 
you learn over time that there's lots of talented players out there and 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 over time you learn the successful teams that you've had have qualities and 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 you try and you know find those qualities in players. I was going to go around the the data metrics piece here but I I want to you hit on the qualities of a player that you value. Like obviously the first prereq is are you talented enough to play at the level Sure. You need them to play. But I know the character piece and really getting to know the individual and getting to know the family is something that's really important in the, your process. If you could just take a minute and talk about some of the things that you key in on, some of the things that you really value that that key you into, like, this is a guy that would fit at Wake Forest. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we inundate them with information at this point. I've, I've got to the point where, like, I'm okay with for for a large part of my career, it was all about talent. I wanted to find the most talented player, um, and I still want talent. Like to your point, it, like talent matters, right? But I think y- you learn more about fit. And and at the end of the day, I ask myself this question all the time: Is this a kid I want to coach or not? You know, does this kid share the qualities that that I coach? Does this care, kid care about the same things that that I care about and I want our team to care about? Um, you know, is this kid the type of worker? Is this kid the type of kid that's going to respond to the way I coach and my coaching style? You know, it, things like what type of learner is this kid? Like you could go down it, it, all these different avenues. So I think what I what I've learned over time is that, you know, I try and feed them a bunch of information, whether it's videos that 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 I value that kind of share, you know, similar characteristics that I feel like our program embodies to to, to having them read books, to, to do different things along the way. And it's all in my mind, it's all a way for me to kind of narrow the focus as to whether or not this kid is going to be someone who's going to be successful in our program. I realize that, that I'm not the coach and, and, and our program might not be the place for every single player. Um, I realized that very, very, you know, very early on when I got into coaching that, I, you know, I, I wasn't the best coach for some of the, the our better players in our program. And and I started to ask myself why. And and I think that's why I go about it in the way that I go about it. Um, I try and, you know, kind of spell out what, what we're going to do. I mean, what do I look for? I, I look for kids that are competitive. I, I, I tend to compete at everything. If you go around our building right now, you're going to see everything from cornhole, cards, they play video games. I couldn't even like I was watching one of our kids play a video game about an hour ago that that I like I was seasick watching like but they're competing at it. So I'm all in on it. Right. Ping pong. You know, they play they they created in our locker room this thing like hacky sack volleyball where I watch them compete at. We're going to compete in a weight room. We're going to compete throughout practice, you know, to the point where you, you look at our doors and every day a player gets a win and a loss. Did you win today or did you lose today? Right. In an event. And. I look at myself the same way. I ask myself, did I win practice today or did I not? Um, you know, did I lose and, and did I help our players? So competitive kids, hey, that's it, it, super important. Um, I think I think kids that are open-minded, open-minded to coaching. I think there's so much information out there and, there, and there's so many different resources for kids to, 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 to tap into. I, I think you have to be open-minded. I think the kid that I jive with a little bit has – you know, has an open mind. Um, energy, energy is a big, big part of what I believe in. So literally when I go to most games, the, the thing I'm trying to figure out is where's the energy source and who is it? And I'm not ta- always necessarily talking about the rah-rah. I'm talking about the kid that 
that impacts his team, the energy source almost every time ends up being the kid on each individual team that kind of steers the ship that drives, that drives the, you know, kind of the energy force of the ship. So, you know, energy is a big part of what I look for. Like I, you know, I, I tell, I joke with our kids all the time and I'm, I'm, I'm probably not right about this, but I tell them I'm the most consistent person in their life every day. Right. Like, and, and I think energy is, is hugely important. Like I'm looking for guys with consistent energy. You're like, does it, whether you have success or not, like, are you going to approach it the same way? Um, so I think those are all things that, that, that kind of I value and, and that we value. Um, you know, one of the things I love about coaching is, is through the sport of baseball, I can get a, a, an 18 to 21 year old and to do, I can't get my kids to do it, but I can get about an 18 to 21 year old to do anything. Right. Like, I can use baseball to get a kid to read a book. Um, we do that with our players. Um, I can use baseball to get a kid to, to to listen to a podcast or watch a movie that that wouldn't necessarily be of interest to them, but you dangle the carrot of baseball and sport in front of them, and all of a sudden they'll do it. It's it's amazing. I just I need to figure out how to do that as a father. I think more than more than anything, though. Know? Um, but but for me, those are all things that are that are ultra important. Um, you know, I, I, one of the greatest challenges we face nowadays is, is you have kids from from all over the country that you get a chance to see. It, it's the ability to evaluate that in players, um, you know, and get that's why, again, gets back to why the relationships you trust the relationships that you've had over the years. And and uh, and that for, therefore I can get the, the best information on them. Yeah, I think the one of the biggest things for for coaches when they're going through the recruiting process is figuring out what what makes you tick and then how that's going to relate to your program and how that like I, I think when you start to figure that part out is when you start one becoming a better coach but be like that's when you start kind of stacking some wins on top of stuff because you know, I, I, I've thought this when I was coaching and I Traz was on here and said the same, you know, a very similar thing. Like there's the way that I coach and the way like my personality doesn't jive with everybody. And it, it took me missing on certain kids that I thought like they were super talented, but like our personalities were not going to line up together and I couldn't get enough out of that kid. And I think like the, the more you start to realize that and the more you can figure that out, the better, you know, you become as an evaluator, but also a, a coach because now like you can be who you are and get the most out of those kids. And, you know, you're, you're going to line up and, and be able to be successful. Um, yeah. And I think that's why all, both of us were very fortunate. Like, you hey, look, I hate to be getting back to coach Rossi again, to, to coach under coach yeah. Rossi. Cause you could, it was a soft landing. You could make those mistakes mm -hmm. and, and look back and evaluate and understand why. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Um, you'd mentioned, and then, you know, we, we hammer this point home all the time about like the, the relationships and the honest evaluation that you get from people. And, you know, not only the kids getting the honest evaluation, but like the, the coaches of programs want an honest evaluation of the kids. Um, but also the, like the PBRs and the perfect games of the world, like how much do you guys factor in rankings and things like that into your recruiting? Like, do you at all, or is it just like, we're looking for the best kids. It doesn't really matter whether or not they're ranked it would be cool to be have the number one ranked kid, but it's not like the driving force behind our recruiting philosophy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're, you're remiss if you think that you never look at those things. Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a starter. Um, 
you know, it's like dating. It's like, you know, you go on a blind date, you know, could she be the, could she be your wife? Yeah, maybe. But, but could she not jive at all with you? You, you know, maybe too. Like it's, you know, it's, it, you have to, there, there's way more to it than, than a ranking. Um, you know, once I get my eyes on a kid, the ranking kind of goes out the door, but what I think a, a ranking or, 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 you know, kind of any, a lead, what they can do is they can be a starter. Um, they can be a starter to start the relationship. Um, you know, and then, and then over time, you're going to make your own decision, formulate your own thing. I don't, I don't think I've ever, you know, at least in the last 10, 15 years, recruited a kid just because of his ranking. And I don't think I've ever crossed a kid off because of his ranking on the, on the flip side of it. Um, you know, but, but I've certainly have, have reached out to talk to whatever, you know, a, a player, a coach, whatever it may be, because he is highly ranked, not knowing much about the kid. And, so I think it can certainly be an be an opener, um, but I think that's that's the extent of it. Um, it's never been important to me to have the number one recruiting class or the number five recruiting class. Um, you know, I, I want to have the number one recruiting class or number five recruiting class their junior year. Um, so I think you need to you need to understand that and uh, and you know get the right kids the kids that are a fit for your program your you know your style and and uh, you know, you can get the most out of. I know data and obviously data is huge in today's game. Yeah. You know, at the college level, at the pro level, it's a big piece of the puzzle. And I know you guys leverage technology, um, both on the pitching and the offensive side. This is like two part question. One, how much of that factors in the evaluation process for a prospect and then Honestly, the answer I want to hear the most about, how do you leverage that information to develop a kid when he gets to campus? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with the second one and go back to the front. It's just a little bit easier, right? So we track everything at Wake. I mean, we have a 21-person, whatever, 24-person analytics team. We just hired a full-time head of data and analytics. We track everything. Like I said, we track wins and losses. We track every swing and BP. We track every ground ball, every fly ball. You know, we track anything and everything you can. and how do we use it to, to one, it's a motivator. It's a huge motivator. Um, you know, everybody wants to be a winner, right? So it's, it's a tremendous matter, but, but what it does is checks and balances. We can see if what we're doing actually works. Um, you know, when you're, when you're using data, you can, you can put a plan together and measure objectively, um, you know, whether, whether or not, or, or measure, you can make sure that it works, um, you know, make sure you're making progress. So, we use data and analytics and everything. We were fortunate to have tremendous amounts of technology, but half the data, some of the data and analytics we use is old, old school, a stopwatch, a video camera where we're going back through. I was just with our, with our data guy, our head of data codes, um, as we call them, I was with codes and, and literally we're trying to figure out what our best catching setup, what our best setup is for every, you know, catcher with every scenario, whether it's a right-handed, left-handed hitter and, you know, what the pitcher, you know, the pitch call was, et cetera. We're trying to figure out what, what does that guy block, receive and throw? How does he do it best? What stances do you use? So um, you can use all kinds of forms of it. I mean, I, I suggest anybody to track everything, track anything. And it's a, it's a great way to measure progress. As far as on the front end, look, I, if you can hit a ball 95 off a tee, what does that mean? I mean, I don't know. I couldn't even tell you, like, it's great. Like, congrats, man. Um, Unfortunately, we don't coach the carnival and like you can't like 95 off a tee doesn't get you anything. It's like you want to, here's your stuffed animal. Great. Um, 
We're looking for winners. We're looking for guys that are going to help us win. Do 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 statistics like that, you know, factor in? Yeah, I mean, maybe you're like, hey man, like he can create some force off of T. Great. Um, this ball's going to be moving. Let's see what he can do. There's going to be a catcher and an umpire too. Let's see, let's see what happens now. Um, you know, so I, I I think it depends on what they do. I think there's some things that can be indicative, like you know, good athletes tend to run good sixty times, right? That tends to happen a lot, right? Guys who who get some swing and miss tend to throw a little bit harder, right? Like I think you can put a little stock in that kind of stuff. Um, I think on a pitching side, you can you can dive a little bit deeper, um, you know, and, and and just figure out characteristics of individual pitches and whether or not they play. And I think we're in a world where most people are looking for outliers and outliers win. Um, but but when you deal with it in total and, and, and you know from a from a position player side, especially, it's it's pretty hard to to put a ton of stock. I mean, I think it can it can tell you some cool things about a kid, but but it's not going to tell you whether or not they're going to be a great player or not. I love the carnival reference. That's probably, that's that's <laughs> one of the best ones we've had. I mean, yeah, it's it's a huge piece of the puzzle in terms of the information that these kids track. But at the end of the day, like, can you manage the strike zone? You know, do you make adjustments pitch to pitch? Like those are the things that really matter for guys. And I'm sure that's what you're focusing on. Yeah. And I, I think the greatest thing is if you're a player, right? Track if you're getting better. Track if you get better. Like, like that's one of the things that I, I'll do is up, you know, as many times as I can, I'll look back through with kind of our notes. If, if I can find online some tracking and just see, hey, is this a, is this a progression that makes sense? Is this kid getting better? Or is this kid kind of staying the same, maybe not getting quite as better or, did this kid just have one great day? Um, I think you have, you know, I, I think you can use it from a, from an individual player's perspective to, to kind of help you understand who you are and how, how you're getting better. Yeah, that's certainly something that we harp on. We've talked about it a bunch here that I think for, for kids, especially looking at like 15, 16, 17 year old kids who are looking to play at the collegiate level. Yeah. That VLO matters, but, it's more important, like, how does, how are you tracking your progress? And I think that that's mm-hmm. a big piece of the puzzle that gets lost sometimes when guys go and are trying to chase a big number um, and they're trying to get the exit velo and the, the velocity and the 60 time for their PBR or perfect game profile. But they lose sight of that as a piece of information that they can use to track whether the stuff they're doing in the weight room or the stuff they're doing in the batting cage is actually translating to that future development and are you closing the gap on your competition are you putting yourself in a place from a development perspective where you become a recruitable player um because as you know it's it's ultra competitive just to play at any level never mind the level that you guys that you guys compete at but it's it's hard to play college baseball and i think that for the high school kid who's listening to this or the parent who might be listening to this understanding exactly what you're saying that that data is valuable but probably more valuable from a development perspective yeah, for sure. And look, I'm a big believer in what Urban Meyer said back in the day. You got to start by being the best player on your high school team, right? Let's start there. Let's start being the best player. And 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 if I'm being honest, look, we're in a we're in a world where we can't, you know, as a Division One coach, we can't talk to kids until August first, going into their junior year, right? And I think one of the true advantages, one of the great things about that is it takes the pressure off just showcase. It takes the pressure off. Now you can play for the right reasons. You can play to win. You can play to get better. And there's no pressure to, to, to kind of the exposure and early in your high school career. So hopefully that's one of the great byproducts of this new rule. 
Yeah, I think so too. And I, I'm hoping that's the the stance a lot of these young guys take is just let me focus on having a good high school season. Well, first we're you know we're in November, but let's have a really good off season. Then let's have a good high school season. Then let's go be really good in the summer and let the chips fall where they may. And if you don't get a bunch of phone calls on August first, probably just means you got a little bit more work to do. And I I'm, I'm hoping that that changes kind of the perspective that a lot of kids and families have, where it's this rush to get recruited and you know, guys develop at different rates and uh, focusing on some of the things that they can control is is hopefully this change in timeline allows them to do that a little bit more naturally as opposed to, um, you know, kind of rushing the process and worrying about some stuff that may not may not really come to fruition and until a little bit of a later date. For sure. I mean, like I our, our number one was this kid, Rhett Louder, and he was he was an OK college pitcher. I think he went 15 and 0 this year with like a one six and. Was was the only. There's been two back to back ACC pitchers of the year. He just signed for whatever more money than I got, more money than I may ever make in my life. I mean, and he deserves every penny of it. But but if I'm being honest, like he's one of the few along the way that that made it in the scenario that we're talking about that everybody's in. And you know, I, I went and saw Rhett Louder pitch like nine times because he was dying to come to Wake Forest, and I wasn't able to pull the trigger any of those nine times. And it took one person you know, kind of telling me, Hey, this guy's, I promise you, this guy's going to be an all ACC type pitcher. And then one of our other coaches going out to see him to be like, Oh yeah, we'll take that kid for 25%. Sure. Well, that's, that's fine. He ended up being a two-time ACC pitcher of the year, right? Everybody develops at different rates. Um, you know, and, and, and what I would encourage everybody that listens to this is why did, why did it work out for Red Louder? Red worked out for Red Louder because he went out and found ways to win. I think that one of the lines that, that, his former coach used me. I think he's 49 and two. We tracked everything, every game he's pitched in and the team won 49 times. They only lost twice. Don't you like winning? I think it's pretty much how he worded it to me. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's the course that a lot of people get to take now because there's no pressure to do that. Um, so figure out how to win. Like let's make winning important again. And let's, let's find out the characteristics of that and let's start teaching to kids earlier. Yeah, I think the specifically in our game, the 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 development piece in college has become a huge piece of even more so when we than when we played, right? Like there there's so much more available for us to be able to actually coach guys and and get them better and bigger and faster and stronger. And the the weight room has become a huge piece of the of college baseball. Like, you know, I I you know, I, I got really big into the weight room when I was in college. I lifted a little bit before high school, probably more than most people, but like, you know, it wasn't a huge piece of, uh, of the development part, you know, until recently, you know, and I think that like, I have a question at the end of this, but I also think that like that, that development piece, like when I found when I was at coaching division three, like you saw huge jumps in guys when you got them into the weight room, their freshman year to sophomore year. Like we had guys that all like we were recruiting that were 80 to 82. And then all of a sudden those guys are like 84, 86. And like all the, it was like, wow. And in the last five years, my last five years of being the head coach at RPI, like the physicality at the division three level is, is so much different than it was my first five years. Cause it's like, this works. Like, and it, like we've all known it works, right? Like it, 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 should, it takes a little bit of time. Um, you know, but my question to you is like, how much do you guys leverage the weight room at Wake Forest for the guys that are on your, on your team? I mean, it's an integral part. I think, you know, what, what our goal is to, is to, 
you know, you kind of mesh together, um, you make a coordinated effort between what you're doing on the baseball field, your strength and conditioning and your training. And I mean, when I, back when I was playing, if you went to the trainer, you were hurt, it was a bad thing. It was like, what's wrong with you? Now our guys spend 45 minutes a day in there. It's all about recovery. Um, then our pitchers spend more than that doing arm care and et cetera to nutrition. You know, we have a full time, we're fortunate to have a nutritionist here to, you know, everything to how you sleep, to what you eat. I mean, the information that's out there now is so much better. So our, our job is to coordinate all those things um, and help the player. Um, you know, uh, I think it's a strong man's game now. Um, you know, we've, we're hopefully reverting back, but we've gone down this road where we've become a zero sum game. It's like a homer, a strikeout or a walk. I mean, that's like all there, all there is when you watch, you know, professional baseball and it's, it's starting to revert back with lack of shifting and, and some of those things. So, um it's a strong man's game you know it's important uh, we lift throughout the year um we give our guys four weeks off a year um and those are weeks where we just reset where they don't lift um, one at the end of our spring uh, one when they first get back to campus one at the end of our our fall right at the end like kind of leading up into to christmas time and then one our first week when we get back and just because we're trying to load manage in those scenarios one you know almost every single time one it's we're either coming off a heavy load or we're, we're going into a heavy load period. Um, but, but 48 weeks a year, we're lifting at least three times a week. Um, you know, we spend, we, we, we bring it out in an outside company. We, we assess our guys and how they move and all that stuff. So there's so many different, there's so many different avenues. Now we're able to figure out so much more about, you know, a kid and how he moves and, 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 and kind of how strong he is and, and, and kind of build an engine that is, uh, that is second to none now. So, um, how important is into it? It's paramount. Um, you know, I still think the weight room is the single biggest development piece of technology there is out there, you know, get in the weight room and get strong. Um, I wish it when I was a player, when I was a player, it was kind of more tabooish to lift than it is. than it is now our kids come, they have a base to them. Um, they're ready to go. We bring our kids, you know, into the summer, like most college programs do. And those guys are, you know, we just, basically indoctrinate them in, into the weight room during that time. And, you know, we're trying to get them as strong as possible. And one of the greatest challenges I think we all face is, is as our seasons get longer, they play more. How do we keep the weight on? How do we keep them strong? Yeah. I imagine that all that work that they do in the training room, the work that those guys commit in the, in, in the weight room as well. Like it's not just about getting strong, but it's that durability piece that you're talking about being able to stay healthy. I think that's a mindset that's changed with the weight room is that it's not just about getting strong. It's about moving better functional strength. And then also there's a layer of injury prevention in there that if you're doing it right and you're taking care of your body, you're actually putting yourself in a position to show up every single day closer to that 100% where you've got that full battery. Cause I mean, you, you hit on it. You're three days a week for 48 weeks a year. You got 56 games. And if things go good, you're going to get into that 65, 70 game range. Then those guys are going to go play summer ball. Then they're going to come back and they're going to play in the fall. It's long. It's a lot. The commitment is beyond what most people recognize in terms of the time that's taken. And uh, I think that's one of the things that I've learned at the back end of when I was at William & Mary is how important it is for guys to be in there, not just to get strong, but they got to be able to hold up to a lot of grueling activity that may not show up like football. But when you start stacking all those days together, guys break down. 
without a doubt. I mean, without it. So that fresh your freshman year on a college campus, it's the longest athletic year probably of your life. Um, more so than even even big leaguers when you think about it, because they come they come in, in in you know July and they're they're pretty much hot until your season ends. It's almost twelve months consecutively that those guys go. So you know you you have to you have to build an engine that can withstand that. You have to build an engine that that isn't going to you know crumble. But but you got to be smart about it. Um, so that, that's the great part about all the technology we have now. We can be we can be pretty smart about it. It is interesting because when you're right, like when you played, not that you're that much older than us, but it was like, I remember when I was growing up, it was like, you can't lift. You're going to get too big. You can't play baseball. We didn't have a strength coach when I first got to Sienna playing. They handed you a piece. We left it, but they handed you a piece of paper that somebody just, you know, made up a program and said, here you go. Yeah. I I played, I mean, I'm 37, but like I played in that time frame, like, oh, four to eight, where like, it was starting to shift a little bit. So by the time like I graduated, like it was a lot more, there was, you were starting to see more science built into what it was you were doing. And it was rudimentary at the time. Like we're talking some, and I I know it still goes on, but like, you know, you were doing percentages of your max and things like that. Like the freshman year, like we didn't do any of that stuff. It was like, just here's a bench, go bench. And there's the squat rack squat. Best of luck. I didn't even know what they were, so it was good. No squat. I'll figure this out, I guess. I remember going to lift after practices during the season, and the first time that we started doing I was like, this is so dumb. Like, I'm going to be tight for tomorrow, and then you start doing it for like a couple weeks, you're like, oh, wow, I actually feel great. Like, this is what – this makes sense, and you kind of got to buck that trend of like your body can handle that, and it actually helps you – in the long run. But I remember it clicking my junior year in the weight room. And that was a big difference maker is it was like, Oh, wow, I can do a lot more than I thought I could. And I actually feel better because of it. And I think, you know, your guys are, I mean, you guys are physical. physical. Yeah. I mean, it's uh it's it certainly, you know, there's, there, there's obviously a performance piece. There's, there's a, you know, there's a health piece that are, you know, super important. Um, and I think, you know, I think the more the earlier you introduce that, I, I think there's a fine line. But the earlier you introduce that at really low levels of intensity, um, the better off the athlete is over time. You kind of touched on the things that you like about guys and things that you really like that they bring to the table, the energy piece, the competitive piece. Um, what are some things when you go to watch a guy that are red flags? That that can turn you off a little bit about how a guy may handle himself um, when you when you get a chance to go interact with them. Yeah, so low, low energy obviously is it just look uh, there, there's there's plenty of uh, really good players that are low energy players. Um, it just it, it doesn't really fit with me. It doesn't fit with who you know how I coach and who I'm about. Um, you know, so 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 I tend to stay away from those guys. I, I tend to stay away from guys like I you know. I, I think you learn as much, if not more, watching a guy when he's not in the spotlight or when he's not on the field. Like I, I always like if you watch me, if, if if I'm locked in on a guy, I'm always on the opposite side of the field. I want to see how they interact in the in the dugout, you know. And I try and find little ways to see how they interact with their parents, with with other people. And you know, I, I again, I 
it's much like when if, if you were going through the recruiting end and, and, and you look at colleges, I think everybody's got great buildings, right? I, I, equate, I equate that to the tools. Everybody's a lot of people have great tools, right? But your college experience, it's going to hinge on the people involved in it, right? And, and I look at recruiting the same way, like my experience with a kid, my experience, you know, with him in our program is going to hinge on who he is as a person. So I think, you know, what I try and hunt is that and if I see things that don't necessarily jive with me in that, you know, low energy, you know, kind of bad body language on a consistent basis. I watch a kid talk to his, his parents, his, his, his siblings, whatever. And it's, he doesn't, he doesn't really handle that scenario very good. It's probably not for me. Um, you know, it just, it's just, it's just the brutal reality. Um, so, I mean, those things kind of stand out, but then, then there's other things. I mean, I, I think we're in a world where, you know, athletes win. So I, I'm looking for the guys that are, are the best athletes, um, you know, on the field. So, so, you know, kind of the non-athletic kid, I mean, you got to really, really hit or you got to really, really do something special. So I'm looking for kids that, that can kind of separate themselves athletically. Do you put, I, I'm just thinking of this, as you say, athletes, like, do you put more, like, do you, how, how can I phrase this? So it's a better question. Like, how much do you weigh multi-sport athletes? Like, do, do you look for multi-sport athletes or, or like, does that not really matter? Like, you'll, you'll go after a baseball-only kid. I mean, I, I think I like multi-sport athletes. I think any coach who says they don't like multi-sport athletes, I think, is, is, a, is really short-sighted. But I'd be lying to you if I said our whole locker room was filled with multi-sport athletes. Um, I, th- I think you can learn a lot of great qualities from other sports. I mean, I was a football-baseball guy. I think part of why I'm as competitive as I am is football. Football, you have to be super competitive every single time. I think there's a there's a toughness in it. I mean, who doesn't love a hockey player who's a baseball player? I mean, you know, I, so I, I think multi-sport athletes, you know, they have some advantages. Um, I think we're in a world of specialization, though. So, I mean, there's some advantages to that, too. I mean, you can train year-round. Um, I think, you know, when you deal with an injury perspective, I – you know, we, we're fortunate to have a biomechanist on our staff and, and, and Dr. Nicholson, she talks quite a bit about, um, you know, multi-sport athletes and one of the true advantage to multi-sport athletes, they got to force to, they're forced to move in different ways in the other sports that show up later in life, later in baseball from a, from an injury prevention standpoint, they just get, they have more balanced bodies over time, um, that allows them to, to stay healthier, um, you know, the, the give to it is is in the moment. Like if you're a football player, it's obviously there's more injuries in football. And so I think there's give and take. I, you know, I, I encourage it. I love it. I mean, we we do things within our program. Like we go on a retreat early in this thing where we play basketball with our guys. Can you imagine that? Playing basketball and pick up basketball with your players, like in baseball. Like you're not allowed to do that. Somebody could roll an ankle or, mm-hmm. or do those things to, to flag football, to – to you name it athletically, because I think what other sports can bring out in your players from a competitive standpoint is worth the risk. Uh, you got to do it smartly, but I think it's worth the risk. So I encourage people to be multi-sport athletes. I think it also, there, there's, there's a mental component that, that I think is, is huge. Like you need some time away. I, like, I think if you're doing it 12 months a year, 365 days a, a year, you're going to burn out at some point. You have, you have, your body just can't handle it. It just doesn't become as important. Um, so I think you need to get away a little bit. You need to have some hobbies. You need to have a chance to reset. 
And a lot of times other sports allow that to happen. Yeah, I always thought that the, I always like multi-sport athletes, obviously. Um, but I, my, so I, I played football, I wrestled and I played baseball, but I, you know, I, I always thought that it was like, I didn't get burned out for that reason. I, I kind of felt like there was, it's, I, I think sometimes it can be hard for younger, for high school aged athletes to be 12 months out of the year. And then with this kind of goal of getting to college and playing and you get there and it's like, okay, I achieved my goal. What now? And I, I think the burnout factor, at least what I saw where, where I coached, like the burnout factor was, was high and I'm not against it by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I always thought that at least like trying to get away for a, a season, um, would behoove you to, the, for, to your point, like you, you move a little, like you, you're forced to move in different ways. And, and I think it can play up at, at, in, in certain areas of your game. I'm sorry, Andy, I cut you off. No, I was going to say we. Basketball was taboo until Heels got to Marist. And then I remember my first year coaching because Heels gave me my first opportunity to coach. Let me, and I'm still grateful to this day, everything I've learned from that guy. Um, he was incredible for the year that I was with him. And, uh, but he, we played a pickup basketball game as a coaching staff against the players. And it was one of the coolest things we did. The energy and Heels, like, Heels can play a little bit. Um, but it was, it went from you know old school game, old school catch, game. From what I remember, it was that mid range game. You know, what I mid range mean? game was on point. If you if he got to the elbow, <laughs> he was trouble. He was he was tough to handle. But it, it went did, from it didn't it didn't hurt that Traz was like an all state player well, too. Yeah, Traz scored like two thousand points in college. So the the coaching staff might have actually won that one. I think I think Traz might have gone for a triple double. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it went from you better not pick up a basketball to. I value the competition and it was, it was different and it was cool. And it, it's cool to hear that you guys do that. Cause I think it's awesome. I mean, you look, you want to find out if a guy's tough, who, who wins the 50, 50 ball in basketball, yeah. right? Yep. Who's going to play D right? Like anybody, everybody loves the scorer, right? Who's the guy that wins your basketball games? The guy who plays defense, the guy who can pass the ball, right? The guy who's all over. I mean, I think you learn a lot about your players. I mean, about who they are in those settings, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, we had a, whatever it was eleven million dollars, some ridiculous number of signing bonus dollars this year, right? I watched like three quarters of them play a one of the best, you know, five on five pickup games last last fall that that I was like holding my breath for. But you know, what I mean, we got them throwing, we get you know guys throwing it down, and and uh, you figure out a lot. I mean, you figure out how competitive you are, and I think that like. Our clubhouse when at Wake Forest last year was about as, as good a clubhouse as, as you can get. And, and uh, I think uh, I think those experiences are why those shared experiences where you're competing in other sports are a big part of it. Like they're a big part of why they were as close knit as they were. Yeah, the compete factor is I think is is huge. Like it's. You know, I I can't speak to basketball. I was horrific. I got cut in second grade. That's why I ended up wrestling for another eight, nine, ten years of my life. Um, Freaking ruthless in youth basketball up in Rensselaer, huh? God, it was it was not good. I got cut, and it was the most devastating moment of my life. And I was like, I'm just going to go wrestle. And I actually became pretty good um, until I blew my knee out and couldn't wrestle anymore. But um, 
you know, I, but like, you know, for me, like that's, you know, I like I value like the competition because like, especially like if I found out that you're a wrestler, I'm like, I'm all I'm going to write. I'm recruiting this kid because like they're, like in my mind, like there's no pure form than of competition. Like it's you versus one other person. And if you lose, like you have nobody to blame but yourself. It what is, about the fact that in wrestling, you got to have like ridiculous balance, you know, arms, yeah. you know, forearm strength, you know, you got to have strong hands. You got to, you don't think all those things are going to help you in a sport of baseball. Right. So and like it, it's, there, there's so much more that I think that goes into it. And that's why, like, I've always, that's why I found it interesting. Like, I think it's awesome that you guys do that, but I find like, I, I, I always found it interesting when you have this conversation with coaches and it's like, ah, I'm not really big on the whole multi-sport thing. And I was just like, I don't. Like there, there's so many other ways to compete, you know, and I think that it's, you know, we all know this as coaches and I think Traz talked about it a lot on this, but like in our sport, like it's, it's hard to replicate in game competition in practice. And like, sure, you can go live in the cages and, and whatever, but like, unless like, you know, you guys are a little bit more fortunate, you can get outside a little bit more, but like, you know, Northeast, like, you know, it's Seattle, like you can't go out and you can't go inner squad and, and go and tee it up uh, in January when you're firing it up for practice. Like, it, like you have to find other ways to do it. And I think being able to, you know, have those experiences, but also have guys who have competed in other sports, you know, you can light that fire to, to, to get that kind of that competition going. Cause we, we all know when the lights go on, like you, that's what you have to do. Like you have to go out and compete every pitch, every at bat, every play, like that's what you're doing you know, for 27 outs and however many pitches are going to be thrown. Like that's what you are doing. And you have to be able to sustain that through the course of the game. And, you know, if you don't necessarily have that compete factor in you, like it, I think sometimes it can be a little bit harder to, to kind of teach it into somebody and it could take a little bit longer. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I think it takes a little bit longer. Well, I think you can infuse it into everything. Like we infuse it. We play cards. We play all of this. Like consider this, like every day you get a win and a loss, Well, we could have a low impact day where the, the win and the losses Every team, you know, there's two teams. Each team gets to nominate a person to play ping pong. And, you know, we got 40 guys, you know, 38 of those guys aren't going to impact. They, they only got one way to impact that. They, they can bring in their energy and all that stuff. So I think you can infuse it in so many different ways. You can do it creatively. And what you figure out is is you learn really, really early on in, in our system that you, you know, you better celebrate the team and you better get into the team and, and get out of yourself or you're going to hear about it. <laughs> so I think that's an interesting piece about college baseball. I think it's one of the transitions that can be tough for high school kids sometimes. And I think this kind of dovetails on the, the multi-sport guy is that baseball in high school. And when you get into the recruiting process, a lot of it is really focused on the individual and doing what I can do to get to where I want to go. When you get to college, to your point, it's a win and a loss. And you win as a team, you lose as a team. Like you function as an offense as a team. It's not nine hitters. It's a it's a group that is put in place to score runs. And how do you do that? Sometimes it's you need to move a runner. Sometimes you need to get a bunt down. Sometimes you need to get hit by a pitch. Like sometimes it's not getting a hit. It's a 10-pitch at bat that extends an inning. Now you can get into the bullpen an inning earlier on a Friday that changes things on Sunday and how all that pieces goes together. That's a big thing that I think high school kids need to wrap their head around. When you get to campus, it's gotta be about the win and the loss because at the end of the day, that's what you get measured on as a coach. And that's what the teams are going to get measured on. And 
that competition piece, you play another sport, I think it hits home a little bit harder when you're a football player or you're a basketball player where you have to operate as a team to get that win. Because in college, in college baseball, you got to operate as a team. Yeah, that, I mean, look, I, we, we, we ask this question all the time. Did you do what the game requires? Like, can you do what the game requires? Each game requires something different to win, right? Can you do that? And it's our job as coaches to develop that. It's an individual's job as a player to be able to execute that. And, you know, opportunity, you know, can come in different ways, shape or form um, for each individual within the team setting. But but can you do on a daily basis what the game requires to win? What, um, following up Andy here, but what, what's the steepest learning curve for freshmen that you've found? Yeah, I think speed of the game. I, you know, I, I think it's natural that every freshman that comes onto a college campus, no matter how good you are, you're going to get there and you're going to question whether or not you ball. Um, I think every, I think everybody does that. Um, and I think the ones that adapt to the speed of the game, the quickest tend, tend to overcome that the quickest. Um, so I think that's, that's the greatest challenge. Um, you know, obviously there's things that can help in that regard. You know, the, the, the more physical you come or the more, the stronger you are to get back to an earlier point when you get on campus, the more likely you are to do that. The higher level of competition you've played along the way, the more likely you are to do that. Um, but, but I think that's the, the greatest challenge is as you go up a level, the speed increases. And can you stay and and be who you are when that speed increases, or do you do you need to take the time to adapt, which we all do, and how quickly can you do it? Yeah, I think that that's the biggest thing. I think Farish is still questioning whether or not he could he he can pitch at the the at Wake Forest for you guys. There's no doubt. He, I mean, look, that's not like I think people <laughs> I think people look at it and they're like, ah, you're you know you're crazy. You, you just got to walk onto campus and be the most confident guy. It, yeah, you got to fake it a little bit till you make it. But I think every every single player I've ever coached along the way, whether they're a big leaguer or 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 never made it out of our program, they've all had that same question. Like they've all had to come to that reality. Hey, hey, do I belong? Can I can I do this? Um, no matter how highly ranked they were, no matter how what their background was, they're still gonna they're still gonna have that question. Chris Farish is one of my favorites. He played for. Billy, and he was my assistant at RPI, so he's one of my favorite people ever. Um, but our, our last question, we don't want to take up too much of your time tonight. We're grateful that you were able to sit down with us. Um, we always wrap up with what what advice would you give to a high school junior or senior going through this process, or really anybody who's going to, looking to play college baseball? Yeah, it's so it's about fit. Um, we have 3,000 plus, I don't know what the number was, 4,000 plus guys in the transfer portal on a year-to-year basis right now in college baseball and college sports. It's it's ridiculous. And here, here's what I believe. I believe it's going to get tough at some point. And you need it, the people that you surround yourself with, the five people, you're the some, you know, the average of the five people you surround yourself with. The people that you surround yourself with are going to get you through that. And you need to make sure you're around the right people. It doesn't matter. Like, like I said in the beginning of this thing, everybody's got great buildings. Everybody's got great facilities. Everybody's got ridiculous technology. There's pitching labs everywhere. There's hitting labs everywhere. There's there's all these beautiful buildings, structures, all this stuff. None of that's going to make a difference on your your happiness. They're great. They're cool. They're they're nice to have. They're they're great to be able to utilize. But your happiness, your success, your ability to develop is going to hinge on the people you surround yourself with, people in the locker room, the people you're coached by. Figure out that fit. 
find out what they want. You know, one of the things that I dislike about the new rules is we can't start to have contact to, you know, with somebody till August 1st of the junior year. Well, I believe it's, it, it's pushing us further to a, a transactional world where it's, it's just straight up, you know, what's my offer? What's your, what's your logo look like? Okay, great. I'll go there. Right. Um, I, I, I think it, it needs to be much more than that. I think it needs to be about relationships. If, if you have relationships, when it gets bad, when it gets tough, like we're talking about here, you're going to have trust. You're going to get to the other side. It's going to be one of the greatest learning experiences of your life. Um, and it's going to transcend baseball. It's going to transcend sports. You're going to see it show up in other parts of your life. And it's going to give you the greatest chance for success. So if I had one piece of advice is don't, don't like, don't sell that short. Um, you know, find someone who's going to go play for somebody who's going to try and bring out the best in you. And they're going to do it in a way that you jive with. Um, and that's, that's the gold in this thing. Love it. Can't thank you enough, Billy. Yeah. It's, it's good being on here. I get to, I get to go see the Deeks. We got opening night of college basketball season tonight. Hell yeah. Walk across the street right now and watch the Deeks take on Elon. We got a whole okay. new team. Everybody's predicting the Deeks to be in the NCAA tournament. The Deeks are going to get there this year. It's been a little bit, but we're ready. Hell yeah. All right. Go Deeks. Um, th- thanks again. Fired up to watch you guys this spring. Um, huge, huge fan of what you guys do. Um, yeah, really can't thank you enough for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Billy. I, I appreciate you having me, and and uh, I hope I'll I hope I'll see you guys soon. Some spring can't get here soon enough. No. Sounds good. good. Thanks, yeah. Bill. Thanks, Thanks. Well, that wraps it up for this week. You know what to do. Hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, EMD Baseball. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thanks.